Overthinking It podcast, episode 19! We have an unusually large... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the the theme music makes me think I'm dodging bullets every time. (laughs) Unusually large panel tonight, and they are already talking, so let me introduce them. Uh, You heard, for the first time in a while on the podcast, Mr. David Schechner. It's my first time contributing anything to the blog. Mea culpa, people. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think you're the guy who we go to for obituaries. (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty much it. I put the bitch in obituary. Uh, how are you doing, Mr. Checkner? How is the science going? Ah, uh, science is treating me very well. I'm. Uh, I have some free time to be on the podcast. I mean, That's what do you? Treating. What do you even do for a living? I try and dethrone God. Oh, I thought the my, my, answer to that question was, I'm a biochemist. I'm, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God, that's true. Oh, that's, oh, we, we want to defer to, to Matthew Blinky about the, the, full, the full background for that's that a, story. A, yeah, that's an a amazing story. story. You know what? It's for another episode, but we should tell that story sometime. We have Matthew Blinky Skyping in from New York. What's going on, Matt? I'm, uh, everything's great in New York as far as I'm concerned, but I'm actually kind of curious. What was your thought process in selecting our theme song from what I believe is, is the Matrix soundtrack? <laughs> <laughs> like, what made you think it's like what sums up overthinking it and it's like it's like some sort of like uh, generic pop techno track yeah well I don't know yeah it is pretty generic and it's uh, royalty free I think the royalty free <laughs> mess was really what did it for me you yeah, know no taxation without representation because it's kind of like for me it's like hey let's overthink something wow. to the overthinking it mobile <laughs> I think that theme song is, is overcompensating for what we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Mark Lee, also coming in from New York. How are you, Mark, and your Barry White-esque audio equipment? I'm doing just fine. No, I just want to say quickly that in the age of Obama, there are no names anymore. I'm no longer Lee. I'm just uh, change agent number six thousand three hundred twenty-nine. So please refer to me uh, as that from here on out. Right. Thanks. I mean, you get such a low number. That's really low. Yeah. Among the <laughs> other among the other signs of the the coming socialist empire is that our individuality, our names, our individual names will be stripped away from us. You are just begging for more McCain pop-up ads. <laughs> you know, it's I actually that crap. I wondered about that. Like, I guess when you do an online ad buy, I guess you specify an end date, right? Yeah, you, I, I yeah, do. Uh, and that's that's Josh McNeil. You are the most disciplined uh, of anyone. You are just sitting there quiet, but you are a media professional. Um, to some extent, yes. Uh, yes, so what is an end date? So if McCain is still spending money on our blog, uh, I think that explains a lot about uh, the, the ultimate turn on numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just lonely. Josh is on the phone from Washington D.C. So so working in politics. <laughs> why, why did you feel the need to ghettoize me? Like the run up for Skype? Like <laughs> no, I didn't want to actually. That's if it. Well, you know, I thought I didn't want to push my luck. I thought that if I, I felt like it was like a very fragile balance getting you on the podcast anyway, and that I didn't want to be like, oh, and by the way, Josh, you have to sign up for this, you know, weird voiceover internet thing and, you know, buy a headset uh, and become a Stepford wife like everyone else. You just sure heard of not. Skype. It's not like such like weird alien technology at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's you, Matt, who is the, the Luddite. 
I, I mean, that's certain things. I, I resist Twitter, but I think it's, if it were called something else. Like The it, Wire, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I resist Twitter, The Wire, and, uh, and, and Facebook status updates. But, like, those are the three. I don't even know if The Wire counts as technology. I'm not talking about The Wire as in, like, metal stretched out into the <laughs> It's like, about- I'll move my electrons along by hand. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Josh, so what do you do? I mean, you work in politics. What do you do now that uh, – now that yeah, we're, we're in the, the post-political era. Yeah, now that we're in a post-erection world. <laughs> I didn't get one bit of hate mail, by the way. I was really hoping for hate mail. If you want to send me hate mail, you can send it to podcast. Because last week I was all offensive. I was like, erection fever! You know? Uh, if you want to send me hate mail, it's podcast at overthinkingit.com. And the phone number, if you want to call and leave a voicemail, is 203-285-6401. Josh, what do you do with your life these days? Uh, mostly Hulu. <laughs> it's a great service, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. We did we did a couple of days of wrap up, but uh, Friday was among the uh, the most relaxed days I've had in a long time. It's good stuff. Because now the environment is saved. There's no danger at all. Uh, we got a few things to do, but yeah, pretty much. Pretty hey, we're much. in, we're in a post environment. Planet One. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Your powers combined. Um, well, okay, so this is the podcast of Overthinking It, the blog that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. We cover movies, TV, music, everything. There's nothing we don't cover, in a way, because kind of everything is, uh, popular. I, well, I mean, what's unpopular culture, really? Uh, most of the shows that I like, I think. <laughs> um... So uh, if you if you are interested in talking with us, we uh, you know we have this voicemail box, and we actually got a voicemail this week. So uh, let's play our voicemail now and uh, listen to it. Uh, this is Katie Cobb. I'm a senior at Yale, and know you guys through uh, the marching band. And you can play this if you feel like it. I just want to say, fight the man. Don't become a mainstream media outlet. It's cooler underground. Bye. Okay, so where to begin? Thank you, Katie, for calling in. You're the first person to call in to the voicemail uh, line, which, again, is 203-285-6401-203. you'll notice that the first call we ever got was after you actually came up with what that spelled. Oh, right, exactly. (laughs) So so our, our our phone number spells 20... Eat log <laughs> zero one or twenty eat log zero one two zero three to delicious two, yule logs two, two eight five six four zero one or podcasted overthinking it dot com. Now what she was talking about, Katie, thank you very much. Uh, we just we don't talk about we don't talk about those undergraduate days, those days of <laughs> wine and roses, those days of hot damn and uh, you know uh, what, whatever the smell is that's coming off the street. I was going to say dice with many, many sides. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday. <laughs> you know, some people call it marching band. Some people call it LARPing. 
Yeah, we, we fa- <laughs> let, let's just say we failed our saving throw against virginity. <laughs> I, I will say there, there was there was something misleading though. The, the last thing she said, "It's cooler underground." That, that's actually her answer to last week's puzzler, which has to talk about the relative temperatures above and below a subway station. So, uh, kudos to you that we asked to give an over under on the temperature differential. No, what she um, what she was talking about was you know a couple a couple episodes ago, uh, Mark and I after we stopped recording it, uh, Mark and I. Uh, we're talking, and uh, I think Fenzel may have been on also. And Mark said, "You know, we're doing too many digressions, and it's not. Uh, it's not. That's not what like a radio show like this is about. Even if it's distributed over the internet." My point was that, like, the point of broadcasting on the internet is you're free from format things like that. And so I actually tacked a little audio onto the podcast and asked people to call in. So that is our one response so far. Uh, she likes the freewheeling thing. I'm actually curious, should, Katie. Let, let's let's talk, Katie. Her. If you, yeah, I know, Katie. If you if you want to call back, I'd I'd love to talk to you sometime. You know, I I live in New Haven. Maybe we could grab a coffee or you know just just chat about life and how life back is. is he a, gives great back rubs. I know. I've heard. Um, I no. What what I'm curious about is where you heard about our site and the podcast because though you know we have some collegiate extracurricular activities in common i didn't think we were still uh the legends uh the legends on campus that we are in our own mind and way to date us right there by by admitting that we weren't contemporaries of her (laughs) (laughs) i was actually like you know people would just assume that we graduated like two years ago and like we had you know at least like one of us had actually like known her but I do know her. I met her when I was on campus uh, a few months ago. Um, maybe that's dating me. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, There's no. I think it's clear that no one's dating any of us. No, no, we're not. Is that is that clear? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Speak for yourself, homie. Yeah, I guess. I guess it is a. Yeah, no, I guess it is a a, pa- a sausage party, but a sausage party with girlfriends. On the call, um, but so like, she wants to in a blanket. <laughs> in a blanket of security. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so she wants the freewheeling podcast format. If you have an opinion, email us at uh, podcast at overthinkingit.com or twenty eat log zero one, <laughs> <laughs> and we're happy to we're happy to play your uh, your voicemail on the air. And you know, we got a new we got a schnazzy new. Uh, website design on the website, so go check that out and tell us what you think of that. Also, you know, it's it's great. Anything more it, to say about that? You know, I, I'm just gonna say that like I happen to feel like like this is important to me because I can stop calling this a blog and start calling it like a website because I feel like blog is like kind of a pejorative term. <laughs> and, and, like I don't know, it may just be me, but for me, like blog carries like connotations of like sort of like really. Um, you know, I, I don't know. What, what, I think when you hear the word blog, just, what do you think? Well, it, it's a word which is like an acceptable onomatopoeia you can use for the wah-wah trombone, right? It's like blog, blog, blog. blog. And I think any word that carries that, uh, that, that has that ability, yeah, yeah like that, it, that's not going to carry a lot of respect. Like you wouldn't say, um, you know, uh, periodical. You couldn't like morph periodical into being the blot blot trombone. So you, you so you think that blog is like something that Stan's sister on South Park does? Like I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to write on my blog about the many emotions that I have about Justin Timberlake. Uh, you know, 
I'm recalling uh, when the, you know the blog first started to become part of the national you know uh, consciousness. There was this big controversy where the bloggers uh, couldn't get into the press conferences because they weren't real media. I think this might have been the 2004 political conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, now you know someone like Ariana Huffington, Huffington Post writes on a blog, but no one's like, oh, she's just a blogger. Am I right? No, everyone's everyone's like she's just a crazy nuts woman. (laughs) She's she's an eerily attractive blogger. (laughs) If only there were a a political uh, media professional on the phone. I stopped paying attention. What are you guys talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you let the bloggers into your press conferences? Uh, yes, yes, but usually they don't come. They don't like, uh, you so don't lazy. see them at a lot of conferences. They will either dial in or, you know, ask you questions via email, but you don't see a lot of them at actual events. But what about, now, like, big things? Obama's, I was working at events that, you know, nobody really wanted to come to, so that may have been different for him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bloggers in general, it's hard to get them to events where, like, pants are, if not requisite, then strongly encouraged. I guess. Like, I mean, there are no. It's it's going mainstream. A lot of it, right? Pants? Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Jesus, no! Killed it, baby. <laughs> um. So we're a website now. We're not just a blog. That is, it's not just like a single a single stream of articles. You know, there are boxes with headlines and you know yeah. d- multiple streams of articles. For some reason, I'm happier with that. Maybe it's just because like anyone can have a blog. Like I can have like I can create like five blogs like while I'm making well this podcast. But like making a website is like an achievement. Well, so what does our website do? Our t- our tagline which, like a lot of things on the site I came up with in the first 30 seconds and then haven't changed yet, is, like, we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny that it probably doesn't deserve. But what... what? Uh, here's my question. What does the popular culture even mean anymore? Ooh. You know... I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's not popular culture. Yeah? Uh, take something... Uh, an art form. Yeah. A generic art form such as dance. Okay. Um, so pop, popular dance would be like hip hop, crunk type dance. <laughs> See, in, you know, in that well is popular for lack of a better word. Uh, but uh, this past weekend, my girlfriend and I went to see a decidedly non pop culture dance show, a modern dance thing, which a guy pranced around in uh, in pajamas, uh, did a few twirls, uh, stripped off the pajamas, uh, read an, read a monologue from a Lewis Carroll story. Um, and uh, pranks around a little more, and that was it. That's not popular culture. <laughs> that much I know. How, how was the Jordan Tomomi wedding? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan um, hasn't been on the Stokes hasn't been on the podcast in a while. Oh, I know. Because what? They're picking up patterns. Oh yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, no, he's usually cooking a nice risotto around this time. <laughs> he's he's our <laughs> resident risottist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like I think that things like the high low culture divide doesn't really mean anything anymore. I think the the niche culture mass culture divide doesn't really mean anything anymore. So what you know. I, I guess dance, I guess like sort of artsy dance or anything sort of self-consciously artsy is not, um, 
is not popular culture, but you know, what don't we cover? I mean, we would talk about if someone wanted to write an article on the site about, uh, you know, the meanings, the many cultural meanings of the, the modern dance culture concert that they went to, which Mark, I hope you do. I'll get right on it. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it's high on your priority list. You know, we would, we would publish that. Like, well, you know, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's everything, right? Well, no, I mean, I I think at least part of what makes popular culture, popular culture is that it's, it's art that's created at least partially with the, with the hope that it will be very popular and that it will make money. Commercial, the commercial nature of it. Yeah. Like, like I think I, it's like it's like if you if you make an opera, presumably like I mean it's not that you you don't want anyone to see the opera, but like you're trying to create art, you're trying to make like a musical statement. If you like record like a rap album, I mean you're in a way trying to express yourself, but you also want to like sell like a million copies. That's one of your achievements, and you don't have to apologize about that. I mean the 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 critical thing is that like obviously there's I, I think every. Art, every work of art is like some sort of a mix between the desire to like express something and to like you know not be a complete sellout and the desire to like have it seen and enjoyed and maybe make a little money off of it. So it's hard to say. Know. It's a sliding scale. The thing is, like, I'm, I'm going to say that like artist intent is very much like uh, trying to define the the high art, low art, cultural divide because it's it's sort of just as ambiguous and, and implies sort of knowing the kind of things that we can't really know. I mean, yeah, maybe Tchaikovsky was thinking while he's writing the Fifth Symphony, fuck, I'm going to make a crap load of money on this thing. Um, and, and does and, that make and, it... And never, but it was popular but, culture but, at the time, but, right? Well, here's the thing. I, I, that's the thing is that I think that the divide isn't so much with the creators as it is with the audience. I mean, like, pop culture, regardless of what we're talking about, is at least predominantly a, a, a spectator uh, thing, right? It's something that you don't directly participate in. It's something that you observe. And I think it's a matter of, like, while you're observing it, what sort of emotional connection do you feel with it? Is it the sort of thing where you think to yourself, you know, oh, uh, I, I should think about this uh, as art. I should be viewing this as a person views artwork. Or is it the sort of thing that you think about, oh, you know what, this is, um, you know, th- this is just something that's meant for my pure enjoyment. Whether I enjoy it or not is regardless, but, you know, it's, that's its intent. Um, anyway, that's my take on it. I mean, you could also say that that it's part of it's a shared piece of culture that like something, for instance, uh, Gossip Girl becomes something which is like it's not that everyone in America has seen it, but maybe everyone in America is like aware of its existence and that it's sort of like it's part of, you know, America's current cultural landscape in a way that like a piece of like a certain subculture, for instance, like something which is like a major anime movie of the year is not. I mean, you know, no, I guess that is pop culture, so I just painted myself but in a corner. Thank you. To take that analogy back to what I was talking about before, uh, the thriller dance is a part of pop culture, um, yeah. but that uh, prancing around with the, the pajamas dance is not part of the pop culture. I'm yeah, using I mean, extreme it, example, obviously, to prove a point, but this is where, kind of where, where I'm going. You know, I mean, in, in a way, as befits our motto, like, maybe we're, we're overthinking this way too much. If it's popular... <laughs> And it's culture, then it's pop culture. So the thriller dance is very popular, therefore it is pop culture. But I think I mean, can anyone think of an example of culture that's popular but is not pop culture? Porn. Well, I don't know. I would say I, I actually would argue that porn is, is pop culture. Yeah, that is Well, I mean, the Kevin Smith movie, right? I mean, you know, that's that's it's right there. It's also I mean, yeah. porn out of the title on that one. No, it's right it's it's right in the title. Zach it's and Kevin Mary Smith. make oh. a porno. 
Uh, not in its advertisements, at least down here. It's just Zach and Miri. Really? No. Puritanical well, Washington, D.C., huh? How would, how would you ever possibly know if you want to go to that? It doesn't say anything about the movie in the title. <laughs> it's like, what do they do? Bake potatoes? I mean, are they, are they writing a detergent company? <laughs> yeah, what are Zach and Miri doing? Well, uh, it's possible they go to White Castle, but I'm not sure. Hold on. <laughs> like, porn is extremely popular, though. It's, you know, the the major source of our gross national product or something. <laughs> like, it is, what? but it's not. <laughs> you play, was that supposed to be a joke? Uh, yeah, no, it was supposed to be a joke. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's... If it's... <laughs> Sorry, Matt, are you Skyping in from Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, or Orange County, Los Angeles. Ah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But, the uh, Sweden of the West. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the so-called Sweden of the West. But it, you know what? It is discussed more and more. Yeah, we I mean, we discuss have... it on this podcast, for example. Well, you have, you have porn stars becoming... Uh, like bona fide popular icons, irrespective of their history, right? Like, right. like people who have who've probably never watched uh, a bit of like bona fide pornography in their lives <laughs> would, would be able to <laughs> would be able to identify. <laughs> as a, of course, I said fide. Bona fide. Um, I don't get it. Actually, Mark, could you explain that? Uh, so anyway, what I was saying is like people who've never um, people who've never uh, tented for porn directly would like probably be able to pick Ron Jeremy out of a lineup. Like sure. clothed, fully clothed. Or maybe Jenna Jameson, or yeah. maybe uh, Tracy Lords. Tracy Lords, yeah. I always feel like if Mario the Plumber from like Nintendo was a real person, <laughs> he'd look exactly like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he wasn't it Ron Jeremy who played him in the short lived uh, live action no, it was series? Not Ron Jeremy. That was that was that was, <laughs> it was Lou Ferrigno, right? <laughs> Wait, no, really? Wait, Lou Ferrigno? No, that's uh, the Incredible that's Hulk. Hulk, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, wait, wait no. It was Luke, Captain Lou Albano. It's Captain Lou Albano. Right, I'm sorry. On Jeremy, oh, Mario would be amazing. Scene, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm a, I'm a, you a, got a clog in your pipes. <laughs> I'm a loosest. All loose are the same to me. Well, you know, it's it's clear that the... Um, I mean, that there are that there is such a thing as a pop culture, and, like, it it... Uh, it changes from time to time, and it it changes the society, right? That it it um, that it is meant to reflect. Yeah, maybe it's like the mean longevity of the thing. Those are and, some long words. The what? The who's uh, a Maybe you it's follow like, up on that, or are you just gonna toss it out there? Although, well, now now I'm kind of tossed because you know, again, it always comes back to Tchaikovsky with me for some reason. Like the 1812 overture is the counterexample, but I guess I was gonna say like a pop cultural uh, uh, artifact is something that like will, as as Blinky said, like sort of exist as part of the the everybody's collective cultural landscape for a little while, but then it will sort of pass out of fashion in a way that it becomes sort of mockable and distasteful a brief period after it was very popular. That's a really good definition, I think. Thank you. Yeah. But, but then what I was going to say about Tchaikovsky is that, you know, the 1812 Overture um, is, like, immediately recognizable to everyone. Like, I'd say it's, it's now more of a pop cultural icon than it is a bona fide piece of art. Um, but it has this, like, ridiculous staying power. So more pop culture and less art. I guess so. Well, I guess, but how... You know what? I mean, it sort of made its way into the popular culture by being the soundtrack to so many movies and TV shows or something like yeah, that. Yeah. By being it's just like, a, a very easy reference that you could, you could, what's the other, like, Oh, Fortuna, 
or something, uh, right? I, I was actually going to cite like the entire Nutcracker ballet and like all the like there are three or four major themes from that that people might recognize as sort of like a stand-in for either Christmas or a stand-in for the idea of ballet. People yeah. have never actually like sat through an actual performance of the Nutcracker. Oh, here's a here's a bit of popular culture. Matt, you saw the Radio City Music Hall Christmas show today, didn't you? I did. I oh, actually nice. just what, with my fans. I'm sorry, we didn't plan on this, but what did you think of it? I thought the most interesting thing, uh, I mean, first of all, it it was um uh, very much a throwback to like what I imagined was like you know this sort of vaudeville style of performance where like you know it's a bunch of you know unconnected musical numbers obviously that revolve around the same theme but it was I mean it was like a review it had no through line uh, plot wise uh, I mean number two it was it it was amazing what they did on stage I mean the entire back of the stage which is pretty huge was like a giant TV screen and so they did like some really clever computer effects I mean and you know they had I mean the whole orchestra instead of being in like a pit actually like rose up on like a platform so you could see them play and then like disappeared and um, but I, I thought like one one of the most interesting things about it was uh, that the whole thing for like an hour and 15 minutes was just centered on Santa and centered on this very secular concept of Christmas. <laughs> it's like a, like a spirit, uh, you know, the, the spirit of giving and, and general uh, feel goodiness. And then like right at the end, the last thing they did was like an elaborate recreation of a manger scene. Um, complete with live animals. They actually had a live camel and sheep on the stage at Radio City Music Hall. In in stockings and high heels, right? But I just thought it was uh, it was funny that uh, that it was almost like like they did this whole Christmas show, and then at the very end they were like, "Hey kids, do you know that Christmas has a religious component too?" It's true. This is a little known fact, but but Christmas actually dates back to to a part of Christianity. This is humorous for a second. And and they they sort of like threw this whole. I almost feel like it would have been better had they not brought the Jesus into it at all, because that just makes it like all the more glaring how much it was like ninety percent Santa, ten percent Jesus. <laughs> that it's that the this the kind of tokenism uh, on display sort of what sort of cheapened it for you somehow. I I mean like it was just the the fact that. I think I was prepared to enjoy the show as sort of like a, like a secular depiction of Christmas, but it became like something, you know, at the very end when they sing like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and they literally had these sort of wise men bowing towards the manger, that it became something that I guess was religious. And it was sort of weird to like be at Radio City Music Hall among like probably like a very, like an audience that like, you know, for the most part, probably not practicing Christians. Um, I wouldn't be so sure about that. There's a lot of tourists out there from the, you know the more uh, religious parts of the right, United and States. That, and that living nativity scene is one of the set pieces of that show that's been in it for a while. Though they've retooled it with things like the giant video wall, that the like the toy soldiers falling down. The, oh, the sorry. toy soldiers was spoiler, interesting too. Spoiler alert: uh, the toy soldiers fall down, then they get back up. Spoiler alert. Yeah, then no, they. I, you know, I'd actually be curious to sort of like figure out how much of that show is new every year, and how much of it is they just they just like dust off the costumes and maybe like update the the sets just a little bit, but it's basically like the same choreography year to year. Yeah. Now, as a New Yorker, I'm ex- I'm ashamed to admit this, but I have no idea what do the Rockettes do during the rest of the year. They they don't do anything. As far as I'm concerned, like as far as I I, I know, the Rockettes only now exist as a sort of centerpiece of the Christmas show. Yeah, so it's like we, we sort of dust out we dust off the costumes, but like the Rockettes are in them. Like every ten months. <laughs> we like, put them, dust off the girls. Boys. We put them we put them in the deep freeze. 
That's right. Well, it's, it's interesting because in a way, the the Christmas show is like a very retro thing. It's this sort of like thirty style variety show with like you know like like uh, dancing girls and everything. But on the, the interesting thing is it's wildly popular. Like the Christmas show, they're selling out like a, like a five thousand seat theater for three shows a day for two months straight. You know that is that show. So, I actually know some people who have been involved in that show as dancers, and like it is extremely punishing on the dancers because that stuff is really strenuous and they do they do it three yeah, times a day they're, they're amazing and, yeah. and, and it just sort of like it made me wonder like wow so many people showed up for this it's too bad that like they can't come up with a way to do this kind of show for anything other than Christmas you know to do some sort of like like salute to, to Hollywood where like they recreate like you know great moments from movies like live on stage or something because like it was kind of cool to, to go to a show and see it and it's not the sort of plot and character driven thing but it's just the sort of like the spectacle of like talented performers like singing and dancing on stage um, and like like you know the Radio City music th- it's, it's, it's one of the, the few shows in the country like that I mean except for probably in Vegas they have a bunch of shows that are that way that are just like you're not you're not going to like you know see if the guy gets the girl you're going to see like people saying like you know i i have no idea what they do it's a spectacle yeah it's exactly right it's it's theater as spectacle i think that from the point of view of like the so-called war on christmas or some such matt i think your perspective is very interesting because it's not like they've taken the christ out of christmas you're like they're your your argument is like they're injecting the christ into christmas in this pro forma sort of way that is not really heartfelt is just kind of there because it's a set piece or because it's, yeah, you it's know, sort of the, it's the perfunctory Christ reference, right? Yeah, it's, the, that, it's, the, it's the token Jesus. Yeah. It's the token <laughs> Jesus, right? It's I said tokenism before. And that's, that's what I meant that like it's in, so your argument is in fact that this Christmas thing is not secular enough. I, I guess the, the the fact that I thought it was a little bit awkward for them to like. I mean, the segment with with Jesus actually began with a little boy coming out and reading from the Bible, and he actually read the the appropriate things about the about the shepherds and the you know the 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 star and the three wise men. Um, and it, and it did seem like all of a sudden out of something which was like it was like a literally a kick line of like dancing Santas, and yeah. it sort of segued into a guy like reading from the Book of Luke. You know, this is actually like the the major plot point of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? It's like right. The, the close of the the classic Charlie Brown Christmas special, where he basically gets up and says, "Like people, we've we've lost our focus on this thing. The whole point of this holiday is to be a, a religious thing, and it's turned into this rampant consumerism." Uh, and it's weird. Like, I, I wonder if like the Radio City people are just like incredibly cynical, and they're like, "Yeah, that's what we're going for." But you're right. like, you know what always struck uh, me as interesting about that that scene in particular? Isn't it Linus who is the one who like gives the who quotes the Bible from memory and points out that everyone's lost the true meaning of Christmas? Uh, maybe it, it's been a while since that. If Fenzel were here, he'd know. I, I was just gonna say, like Linus is also the one who believes in the Great Pumpkin. So in a way, like you know, I, I think in the Christmas special, he's presented as like the most sort of like devout Christian, but he also has these sort of pagan beliefs. Lion, he's, Linus he's is, his is, covered. Li- Linus <laughs> is extremely credulous. Linus was mocked actually. At, did anyone watch the the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror for this year? Yeah, it was actually that was a really funny sketch, man. You want to describe it? Well, it was it was just the the Great Pumpkin thing done. Uh, Well, spoiler alert first. It was the great pumpkin thing done as a Simpsons thing with Milhouse as Linus and Bart as Charlie Brown and Lisa as uh, Sally. And 
Um, but the great pumpkin showed up and he was like extremely angry that, uh, that humans eat pumpkins. And so he carved pumpkins up. Yeah. They carved you, you what you bake them into pies. And he went on a bloody rampage, uh, and started eating humans. But it was like a movie out of my life. But it was like it was, you know, Milhouse was playing Linus and it was his sort of credulous, childlike faith that caused the problem to begin with. And in the end, saved the day because spoiler alert, uh, he imagines a, you know, a a giant turkey uh, from Thanksgiving to come and kill the great pumpkin. But then, of course, the the turkey realizes that at Thanksgiving people eat turkeys and a bloodbath ensues. <laughs> kill all them too, right? And buk turkey, basko buk yok! Sorry, it's, it's written for the turkey in Turkish. Yeah, that's, that's uh, good. Yeah, people got that. I'm sure. Hey, two, we, get, two. We, we get increasingly unpopular as we go. <laughs> we, we, right. we just we just cornered the Turkish pop culture market, people. <laughs> All the, right, the, the, the American pop culture in Turkish market. We will uh, we will take they a short don't have break. A pop culture of their own. Now. <laughs> we will take a short break, and we will be back with more overthinking it. Yeah. We're back. Wow, that was fast. I know, right? Uh, all right, next up on the agenda. Well, I guess uh, the last episode was erection fever, and I guess the erection has come and gone. We are living now in a post-erection. <laughs> was it? Uh, was it good for you, man? <laughs> it was. It, it, it was it incredibly was good for me. was extremely satisfying. <laughs> 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 Can I get that in the letter? <laughs> I, um, I hear the I hear the turnout was quite large in this erection. <laughs> people people waited on lines for hours. Uh, well, yeah, no, three I mean, you know, three or four hours is a lot of time to spend on an erection. Just, Did anyone have to wait to, like longer to than an hour lever. to vote? Yeah. Does, uh, does anyone have any more innuendo? Uh, uh, then we had sex. <laughs> So uh, I'm just curious if anyone had a bad voting experience worth reporting. I uh, wasn't on the rolls. I registered. Oh, that happened to me in '04. Yeah, I, I, I submitted my registration well before the deadline for my change of address. I show up my precinct, and they didn't have my name on the list. So I had to vote by uh, what do you call it? Vote by um, provisional. Provisional. Provisional ballot, like uh, signing a statement saying yes, I actually do live here, um, and c- please count my vote. Pretty please. No, no, your your real your legal name is Duran Duran, though. So, oh, that's why I went on the rolls. That, that's the problem. Fucking it's acorn. Yeah. So Mark sent around this this. Uh, th- so Barack Obama's elected president, and maybe there's a pop Spoiler culture. maybe there's a pop culture point of view on this mark sent us around on our email list this email about the cosby effect mark can you say a few words about what that is sure just uh people have been theorizing that uh, the cosby show as well as other uh pop culture depictions of african-americans and you know, for lack of a better word, mainstream roles, you know, upper middle class families, presidents of the United States, you know, Morgan Freeman, the the black dude from 24, um, that all these depictions have so-called, you know, prepared or primed America to be more accepting of an African-American candidate. Um, I'm not sure how much I buy into that. Um, I see it a little bit, but um, it's definitely worth discussing as, you know, the, it's like the, the pop culture is 
you know, life is imitating art, essentially, in some ways. Well, wasn't wasn't the point of the Cosby show that sort of art was not imitating life in that sense? I mean, wasn't it sort of, wasn't there kind of an outcry or maybe not an outcry? Wasn't there a lot of comment on the fact that there's this kind of this uh, black middle-class family that is, uh, that's remarkable and being so, so unremarkable or maybe so aspirational. Maybe that's the thing. And that's kind of racist, isn't it? That like a black family would be aspirational for, uh, you know, for Americans. But What's I mean, the interesting I, thing about the Cosby Show is like, as opposed to a lot of, a lot of like you know sitcoms, it was it wasn't like a blum. Obviously, it wasn't about like the experience of being black in America. I mean, they definitely. I, I can remember a few little instances where like the fact that they are black factored into the plot. But yeah. in general, it it was it was uh, just a series about like you know like an upper middle class family, and it just so happened that they were black. That they were black. Yeah, well, and it, it wasn't just. I mean, he was a doctor. You know, the wife was a lawyer. Was, uh, as well, right? Yeah, that's right. She's they, a lawyer. So they were. Doctor it was like a, they were both of example. the professional class. Right. It's it's this. I guess this term that got kicked around a lot during the uh, the election season is that it was in a sense it was post racial. Right. I mean, it was just the fact that they were they had a particular skin color was totally incidental. You could read a script from the Cosby Show ninety nine percent of the time, just scrub out their names, and and uh, and no one would recognize that it was this show about. People of any particular race. Let right? me just oh, raise, be, let me raise the question. That's, Is that that's a great idea, Dave? Like, okay. like, like, remind me that one day we should retape an episode of the Cosby Show with the White family and and post it online <laughs> and see how <laughs> and see how it goes. I mean, is or that an advance us, right? though, really? What? Well, I think what, what's interesting is that a lot of people saw this and criticized it not because of. I, I guess the criticism that I often hear about the Cosby Show was not that it was post-racial, but that it tried to whitewash uh, this black family. That it wasn't that this family was simply existing and this is the way that they functioned. It was that this is a black family that had been turned white. Um, which I think is is a deeply racist thing to say. You but know, it's my, certainly my, something I've heard. My dad, who is a listener to this podcast, hi dad, um, is a has a sort of minor pop culture specialty in the horror movies, like monster movies of the 50s and 60s, black nice. and white especially, uh, which he showed me a lot of when I was growing up. They're, they're excellent, like them about the giant ants, or the original blob, which is, oh. uh, which is a work of such genius. But anyway, um, in Night of the Living Dead, there is uh, a black character who's like this, who doesn't, you know, who seems not to be part of the mainstream black culture of the time, but sort of talks totally like a white guy and sort of acts totally like a white guy and is doing this sort of regular leading man thing. Um, now, I don't, mean, I don't mean to be normative about it and say that, you know, white people should act in a certain way and black people should act in a certain way and things like this, but... When white people dance! <laughs> with the jello pudding pops and the hippin' and the hop. And they, uh, and they... But from the point of view of the way they were represented in media at the time, you know, you had these characters who were white in, in everything but, but skin color. And so I think that that phenomenon has been has been going on for a while. And I just, I just paused to note that we are joined by Pete Fenzel now, who... Uh, hey, Petey. Hey, gentlemen. It's all on. Yeah. Nice to have you hey, on. Well, you, you, you have anything to add here? Sure. I think one interesting phenomenon to keep in mind is that studies have shown that, that linguistic patterns in particular for white Americans and black Americans have actually diverged significantly in the last 50 years. Hmm. And in fact, white people and black people used to talk a lot more like each other than they generally do now. And so a lot of what we see as 
whitewashing in the past, we may want to uh, potentially revise as thinking of us trying to revise the separateness that is more extreme now culturally than it necessarily was. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, even by, if, by the know, way, politically, I mean, as we all know, as the Reverend Wright has has told us, if yeah, you got if you got some, some white friends, <laughs> they be clapping like this, <laughs> y'all. It's okay. I make the offensive were, were jokes you, so that you, you don't have to. Were you to. trying to get us to join along there? Max? <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of, I was really tempted I, to do it. I'm not going <laughs> to clap on one and three. I'm going to clap on four. That's, that's, okay. It's it's a joke that my music theory teacher taught me in high school. It's like, how can you find the Republican in a church? <laughs> He's it's clapping like, on one and three. It's hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more. Wait, you said a church? Uh, yeah. Really, like, the only churches I've been to. Look, I, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a song about, about, like, an ugly breakup? Um, with the devil. <laughs> I think it's assumed that Jack is Satan. David, and you he should not come back no X-play. more. That's a good point. I, I want to jump in with a, a, a question on this theory, though. Finally. Is that also in the pop culture... In addition to there being more African Americans portrayed at as a presidential level, you had the show Commander in Chief. You had the movie The Contender showing women at that level. Yep. Uh, which didn't seem to pan out. <laughs> and uh, you Chris had, Rock's in the most head of state political show. You had a Latino uh, win the presidency in the last season. And I mean, frankly, the vast majority of movies have featured really old white men, and that didn't seem to help McCain at all. <laughs> True, true, true. So from that yeah, point I think of view... the Fifth Element vote really went strong for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's you know, a good call. He's the, he's the only president that I can think of, although there was a disaster that almost destroyed the Earth in that movie, too. The Fifth Element so, is a... Is, well, yeah, no, he was, he was tested. I can think of a number of different scenarios, you know, foreign powers who would test the president in the Fifth Element. Uh, <laughs> if, you know, if, if he were... <laughs> If you were elected, I really love the fifth element. It is for me a benchmark movie because, uh, every good thing about that movie is balanced out by a bad thing about it. And every bad thing about it is balanced out by a good thing. So the needle is just totally level on, <laughs> on the fifth element. It, is not, it, it, it scores a perfect zero. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's not negative. It's not that positive. <laughs> it is. It is just. I. I. It just is marking time, it which is, is amazing. My benchmark movie recently uh, this week. Rocky Four is my benchmark movie. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that's awesome about it is offset by something that's terrible. Like like the robot. The robot that talks. These are the film equivalents of the music that's played in a dentist's waiting room. So, so Josh, so like, re- if, if you were rating these, these would be like a five on a scale of ten. Returning to what Josh said about about that, I mean, has everyone just been reaching for a sort of non-traditional presidential candidate? You mean in the I mean, what do you mean by no? In for? the no, I mean in the media. I mean, if you're going to write a show, is it like okay, we're going to write a show about the president? We have to, we have to do. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind. Of, let me let me jump in here. That, that's kind of the role of of, of fiction in general. Is just to be sensitive and say, what if? Right? Well, you know, if you make the president black, you can still make the protagonist a white man and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's the token president. <laughs> as long as he's not president. As long as the president isn't a main character, the president gets to be whatever they want. Well, That's okay, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Smith was a main character in The West Wing, and that was a. Uh... 
Though they didn't, you know, he he really spent a lot of, it was a big plot point about how he wouldn't talk about race. Like, there was a plot point in the last season of The West Wing about a driver's license bill denying driver's licenses to illegal immigrants in California and how he was not going to make a statement about it. You know, so he's, you know, it was this kind of post-racial thing that, like, we can't, you know, we can't talk about it. And I, I you know, I, I guess I would argue that a, that a show like The Cosby Show, if you can sort of say that, you know, you could, you could do the same script with a white family and no one would bat an eyelash, I'm not sure that's necessarily an advance because I think, I think it ignores the very different history of uh, African Americans and of white people in the... Uh, in this country, and there are, there are like legitimate things to be talked about, no matter you know, no matter whether the family in question is of the professional class or of the working class or of of any socioeconomic standing. But I think the thing is like you need the Cosby Show to sort of establish uh, within the, the the sort of backs of everyone's minds and the culture the concept that like normatively, just as as beings, race shouldn't be that important, and if you can just sort of like wipe it and make it completely neutral. Here's this very popular artifact where, as, as Blinky and I were conjecturing earlier, like, it really doesn't matter at all if they're white or black. Then, like, you can go in and start, you know, like, following bits of culture that occur thereafter can sort of build upon that and say, like, well, okay, it doesn't matter, like, their, their worth as human beings is indeterminate with respect to their race. But let's talk about, like, you know, their history and, and, and you know, talk about their culture a little bit. Um, what was that show? Was it was it Rock, the one where the guy's a garbage man? Yeah, which is also very critically yeah. acclaimed. I Charles think like that's the, that's right. Yeah, that's kind of the natural follow up, right? Like that was a show very much about the fact that that he was you know African American and his family is African American, but it was definitely not you know Amos and Andy, right? It wasn't the Jeffersons. They actually did. I remember because I, I watched the show when I was little. They did an election episode when Perot was running, so I guess it would have been ninety two. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was uh, Bill Clinton versus George Bush versus Perot. And so Rock, like, had to make up his mind about who he was going to vote for. And <laughs> one of his family members was for one of them. One of his family members was for another one. One of his family members was for the third. And so they all made their case to Rock. And then Rock made up his mind and went to vote, except that the thing was you never found out who Rock voted for. So uh, Wait, he was turned away from the polls because you know his grandfather wasn't allowed to vote. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, he was, um, yeah, exactly. Like non-spoiler alert. That Kevin Costner movie, you know that that uh, that uh, swing vote, like that's how it ends. <laughs> oh, uh, that, really? that's, I guess that's a real that's a real non-spoiler. That the whole thing is like. Um, you know, he has to decide. Somehow, I don't even know what the setup is, but like the entire election is going to be decided by this one guy. And is it's it like Kevin Costner. Yeah, it's Kevin Costner. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Kevin Costner is basically Joe the Plumber. You, you, yeah. You've painted a portrait of my nightmare escape, sir. What were you going to say, Josh? <laughs> He's stunned. Yeah, he, he's stunned into silence. Josh, you still with us? Yeah, I just hadn't, I hadn't said anything. Oh, I thought you were about to say something, or was it was it Pete? I think it may have been Pete. Okay. Oh, I was just going to start saying things like Joe the Prince of Thieves, and like <laughs> Joe the Dancing Woman, <laughs> Joe the Merman who swims to the Exxon Valdez and takes out eye patch Dennis Hopper, um, because that's the real America, folks, is the America inside Kevin Cosner's head, and all of us are just living in it. But by, by the way, everyone's you, you noticed how Joe the Plumber looks a lot like Michael Chiklis. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just me. 
<laughs> no, 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 definitely not. No, absolutely. Well, By the okay. Way, I, so- I wanted to throw one more thing out before we change the subject. Oh, okay. This may be like a footnote. You know, you guys have heard that the Jimmy Smith's character on the West Wing, Matthew Santos, was literally uh, modeled on Barack Obama. Really? Yeah. No, this, this is true. That that um, I mean, I actually have the article like right in front of me. That that when they introduced that character, it was uh, late summer of two thousand and four when they were writing that. It was immediately after Barack Obama had given that speech at the Democratic convention. So he had suddenly sprung onto the scene as like this very like young, charismatic, eloquent speaker, minority senator who might potentially have presidential aspirations, and they they literally. Uh, you know, decided to to create a character on the West Wing that was like their own Barack Obama, and of course now you know life is imitated art. Well, and both of them now are president. Yes, exactly. You know, in the in the West Wing universe that sort of continues that the show hasn't been on the air since two thousand six. Like uh, Jimmy Smith is still president, though he's coming up for he's probably starting his reelection campaign in about a year's time. Uh, and, the, and the weirder thing is that, like, and I know this is getting a little wonky, but the character of uh, Josh Lyman on The West Wing was based on the real-life Rahm Emanuel, who is, in fact, now Barack Obama's um, White House chief of staff. Whereas, whereas Josh Ly- and Josh Lyman had run the uh, had run the Santos campaign. Matthew Santos was the name of the of the Jimmy Smith character. Uh, Josh Lyman uh, ran the campaign and became his chief of, chief of staff. That's kind of eerie. So, yeah, I admit. But so uh, you brought up Rahm Emanuel. This continues to blow my mind that, like, the new White House chief of staff, his younger brother was the model for Ari Gold on Entourage. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and literally. That, so he's going to have people yeah. hug it out? Is that how it's Ar- Ari Emanuel is hug the guy's out, name. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right. It, it, maybe it is time to uh, to change the the subject. We want to help out our new commander in chief, so we have assembled a cabinet for him, uh, composed entirely of fictional uh, characters and superheroes. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Really like teachers and firemen who are the real superheroes because they have heat vision and can fly. Teachers, firemen, and aquamen. Thank you. Aquamen, yes. Aquamen. Aqua people. Aqua people. Aqua people. Oh yeah, we're we're in a post-aqua gender world right now. So we um. So I will just go through the cabinet positions. We're going to start with Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, and Secretary of Defense. Uh, and we'll just we'll just throw it open to the to the panel and see who has it. Josh. Who's your pick for Secretary of State? Secretary of State, I'm going to go with uh, Charles Xavier, the uh, psychic leader of the X-Men. Excellent. Uh, because he's really psychic? Good. Because, well, actually, no, I just think he's pretty cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the bald head, I think, gives a strong message to our opponent. Which is, which is what? <laughs> I, I'm not sure what that message is. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a powerful message. It is. It's shiny, too. It's like our, our nation's stone-cold Steve Austin. No, nobody. Nobody's a wrestling fan besides me. All right, moving on. <laughs> Anyone else have a Secretary of State? Uh, I've got one. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Carmen San Diego. <laughs> the other nation's monuments. When we have the Liberty Bell next to the Eiffel Tower, next to the Sphinx, the rest of the world is just going to have to cooperate, or else they're going to see their major tourist attractions again. <laughs> 
Sue <laughs> <The> Warren. <laughs> but the she's also Rockefeller is undersecretaries of state, right? <laughs> she also she is well traveled. For Rockefeller to, to march in, in front of the military. Uh. She's yeah no uh, Carmen San Diego is accustomed to traveling all around the world. That's true. She knows a lot of different countries and she knows their flags and their major exports. Okay, so <laughs> she's she's the only person alive. This is true. She's the only person alive who can name all the countries in Africa and place them on the map. Because we, we certainly know like no fifth to eighth grader in America can do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so who is gonna who's who, oh sorry Matt you have one. No, no, I was just saying that, like, like I still remember the look that those kids would have when they found out Africa was their continent of the dead. Everyone's <laughs> praying for North America, and then you get Africa, and you might, you might as well just, like, beat the traffic out of the studio. <laughs> I'm sorry, moving on? I never saw North America be one. I mean, there are... There are two countries in North America, right? No, but then they could do states. I, I, think, I think in the early seasons, and then, and then people, like, you know, they knew what they were getting into when they got on the show, and they would, like, spend the, you know, the, the time studying the 50 states. But, and then later in seasons, they actually added rivers, which really screws you up. You had to, like, you know, figure out where, like, major tributaries were. So that, that's the, they just got mean. They got Legends of the Hidden Temple on us. Yeah. Legends of the Hidden Temple, by the way, is sort of shorthand for me as being like a game show experience that's like unfair to really geek out. It's the Kobayashi Maru. Oh. Oh. Can, can, I just contribute, can I just contribute for a second? Yeah. The shrine is <laughs> I never get tired of that. That's my favorite, like, several words to say in the English language. <laughs> the shrine is silver monkey. When, when Pete, the three pieces of the idol, then you might pass it to the observatory. A true story, when, when Pete and I lived together, occasionally he'd, like, plod into the bathroom in the morning, the door would close, and I'd hear muffled from behind the door, the shrine of the silver monkey. <laughs> Okay, it was, who's uh, gonna deeply disturbing in the in the coming administration? Who is gonna Hank Paulson that hoe? I mean, I think the obvious one is a Scrooge McDuck. It's Scrooge McDuck, yeah. Right? Is anyone gonna feed him Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> Scrooge McDuck done. Secretary oh, actually, of Defense. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, come Scrooge on. Duck, possibly Shylock. Okay. <laughs> you had to get in. You had to get one in for the for the chosen people. Although, well, like, is it is it what Scrooge McDuck does, which is just hoarding assets and not investing them? Extreme, like the, our exact problem, which is people aren't letting their 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 putting their money into the system; they're just hoarding it. No, that's that's <laughs> not the problem. The uh, the problem I, I was we that we have like a liquidity crisis. We have we have a credit crisis. Uh, we have crisis in almost every respect. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean that's definitely one of the problems: the fact that people are swimming in their money rather than getting it out there. <laughs> I, I think, like, if people were to invest their first and luckiest dime rather than putting it in a glass case, that would that would certainly do. Right. So, if you've ever wondered where all the Sacagawea dollars went, like uh, they're actually in a giant concrete tank a little bit outside of of uh, McLean, Virginia. Ixne uh, on Eknerche Sacagawea dollars a. Secretary of Defense. So, uh, you know, I think I was the one who pitched this idea of, like, naming the cabinet, and, like, my immediate crisis of conscience was that I could not figure out which post the Batman should play, because I, I could see him in all of them. <laughs> um, and this is, this, this is definitely a Secretary of Defense, but I'm going to go with the goalie from Shaolin Soccer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you might want to remind people what Shaolin Soccer is. I don't know if that's a cultural touchstone that it should be. 
Hugo Shaolin Soccer. <laughs> really, really putting in the extra hours for the <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. That's great. Um, yeah, no, I'll go, I'll go with that. I was a big fan of that movie. <laughs> that was a great... Movie. I like Stephen Chow. I'm, he's uh, he's going to be... Oh, go ahead, Josh. Or Pete. <laughs> I, I actually got, I I actually got one. Oh, sorry. Okay. We, we're doing a Shell and Soccer thing now? Are we doing Shell and Soccer or are we talking about Secretary of Defense? Yeah, d- <laughs> okay, I'm uh, sorry. I've been remiss. I'm stepping into moderate. Fenzel, Secretary of Defense, go. EV-209. You have 15 seconds to drop your weapon. <laughs> <laughs> there would be like a lot of a lot of them all across the border and all across the world, or would it just be one? It would just be one guy, and he would be on a closed circuit television with every other country, and everyone's around. Would just be like, "You have 15 seconds to drop your weapons," and then they would have to drop their weapons, or they would have problems. Right. They just don't negotiate with that cash. But then, like, what if France gets a RoboCop? Aren't we screwed? <laughs> La cop robotique. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip around to some big ones. Now what about Secretary of Homeland Security? You see, I see the Batman as more of a oh, Secretary yeah, yeah. of Homeland Security. He's good at the spying. Well yeah, it's because he, he operates in a sort of shadowy uh nether region of the law and is really subject to no authority except uh his own power. But, but we're talking about an Obama administration. That's not Obama style. Obama wants to roll back the sort of Bush's abuses of you know executive authority. Okay. At least he says so. I don't know. I was I was thinking. Um, although this this goes along the category of the, of the Batman, like using nefarious means. Uh, Danny Ocean obviously can 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 no matter how tight the security is, he would be more like a good head of the CIA. That like I fully believe that like if the nuclear you know if the secrets are somewhere in Iran he could get them out with with you know pretty much just like two weeks time and like a handful of guys imagine what he could do with like an agency and all the technology in the world isn't that MacGyver aren't you ta- discussing aren't you like describing MacGyver but I don't think MacGyver was like really good at like bypassing security right I think it, I don't know I, yeah, I, I was never like MacGyver, a, like a it, it's more, he's more a guy to call in when things are already about to explode and just need to get things safely out of the explosion. Here's so my, MacGyver, here's MacGyver my was pick, my, was oh, my pick yeah. for, for the head of FEMA. Right. Yeah. Right, because then, like, you know, if, if all you've got is, like, a, like a, a shoelace and, like, you know, a can of, you know, like, cheese in a the can, then, like, yeah. you can still, <laughs> like, you can still but, save the... But you need a linear particle really accelerator... Or you need like a levy, you know. He can make a he can make a levy. <laughs> he can make it out of a out of a shoelace and a tin of skull. All he would do is make levies out of different things. That would be his whole job. Corn <laughs> 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 juice and a car battery. Like, just that's... just for the record, my choice for okay. Homeland Security is Hannibal from the A Team. Nice. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. I, do, uh, I like that when a cabinet like comes together. All right, we want to we want to wrap up before too long, so I'll just throw the rest of the cabinet, uh, including Attorney General, Interior, Agriculture, Commerce, Labor, Health and Human Services, HUD, Transportation, Energy, Education, and Veterans Affairs. Uh, Veterans Batman? Affairs is clearly it's all, it's John, all Batman. <laughs> it's all Batman. Uh, Veterans Affairs is clearly John Rambo, but you know I'll throw, <laughs> I'll throw them all uh, I'll throw them all open to the floor. Uh, for Attorney General, I'm going to say uh, Jack McCoy. Uh, that's Sam Waters' character from Law and Order. <laughs> okay. Wow. I just love that. Actually, you know, funny story. They they must have just added this the morning 
uh, the morning it aired, but last Wednesday's Law and Order, there was a little voiceover at the end where Jack McCoy is at a press conference and a reporter asks him in the gaggle, you don't see who it is, so they just added it you know, in post probably like, is there any, is there any rumor? Is there any truth to the rumor that you're joining the Obama administration? Oh, interesting. They added that. So, you know, it's not like South Park. It's not a whole episode, but you know, they, they did their part. Right. I got one, uh, surgeon general. Yeah. Dr. Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Obama's going up against the insurance companies to create this new national insurance policy. So you want someone in that job who's like both really smart and horrifying, like terrifying. Uh, (laughs) What about Dr. House? (laughs) Dr. House is not bad. Wouldn't it be just potentially disastrous to have both Hannibal Lecter and Hannibal on the same cabinet? (laughs) (laughs) You'd never know who you're talking to. Is that a cabinet-level position? Uh, It is a cabinet-level position. There you go. Huh. um, Can I throw in for transportation Patrick Swayze from Black Dog? Wow. Wow. Do you even know the name of his character, or is he just Patrick Swayze? He's the trucker. He's just called Patrick Swayze from Black Dog. That's what they call him in the movie. I would say C.W. <laughs> like, hey, Patrick Swayze's character. Hey, I would uh, I would go with C.W. McCall, who who actually is a fictional good. character, right? or Chris Christopherson, who played the character uh, that the song inspired in the film yeah. that the song inspired. The main thing is we need a trucker, a fictional trucker. <laughs> Maybe, C.W. the trucker is Optimus. Go. Is Optimus Prime not available? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I know this isn't a cabinet-level position anymore, but for Postmaster General, I'm going to say Kevin Costner from The Postman. (laughs) I'm just just picturing a a t-shirt where Optimus Prime is looking at C.W. McCall and saying, I want you inside me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's that's getting bleeped out. I think. Yuck! No, it's not. But it's oh, you know, damn it. you're going to cost us our clean tag on the Exodus. iTunes music store. Done. Uh, Secretary uh, I, of the Secretary of the Interior, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, done. <laughs> not actually. Go for those. What about the Interior crocodile alligator? He's good for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Who will be Secretary of the Interior crocodile alligator? <laughs> I actually, I actually heard a couple good suggestions before we started the podcast for uh, head of the EPA. Oh yeah, yeah. it's a environmental mine, protection agency. Mine was uh, the Giving Tree. <laughs> I guess Pete would have hadn't heard it the first time. We would have, yeah, no, we totally, yeah, we totally would have cracked up at that. We just heard it already. But isn't the Giving Tree like actually the opposite of what you want? He's like, go ahead and cut me down. Let's not even think about the future. If it if it suits your needs today, <laughs> it's good for you. Then go, yeah. If it if it's good for you right now, then go ahead and cut me down. In fact, okay, yeah, okay. no, that's it's the Giving Tree is the opposite of a sensible yeah, that, that's more ecological of a George Bush solution po- to a Barack Obama <laughs> policy. So you want the uh, Lorax is what you want, right? You want the Lorax. Who speaks for the trees? <laughs> the Lorax is really ineffective. You know, the Lorax couldn't even yeah. convince one person to not just, cut down just, And for a small fee, I'll point out. How about um? How about Sprout, the Jolly Green Giant's like little questionable sidekick? <laughs> Why not the Jolly Green Giant himself? What is he doing? <laughs> he, so, he's think, busy. Okay. He's yeah, got I, I, I think you guys are missing the <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Like, is With- Captain Planet not available? <laughs> Look, oh, I thought you were suggesting that fruit actually be made into this. <laughs> 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 fruit as secretary. 
<laughs> no, yeah, I guess I guess like the fruit characters from the Fruit of the Loom commercials. Yeah. <laughs> They One of them veggie tails, perhaps. <laughs> for Secretary of Agriculture. The may not be available. Yeah, they're going to get Ma T, the little hard boy from the Planeteers, to be the the EPA guy. Okay, let's let's actually flip the script here. Let's just name some. Uh, let's just name some fictional characters and think about the role they might play in the presidential administration. I'll start. Inspector Gadget. Uh, it's, I mean, head of the CIA is the obvious, but. Um, <laughs> How about DARPA? He's the head of DARPA. Isn't he? Isn't he a bad spy, though? Isn't that the joke about Inspector Gadget? Yeah, and that his DARPA, niece. DARPA is mostly like about you know developing technologies, and he can basically just like take off a piece of his leg and be like, "All right, just retro design no, this." Crap. I've got it, guys. I got the solution to all our problems. Inspector Gadget as drug czar. <laughs> <laughs> because it would basically be like decriminalizing it. Right. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, the point oh, of that was that. Hand coming into the window. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Secretary of Labor. Uh, Rosie the Riveter. Maybe Stringer Bell. Uh, I like her early work. Yeah. Yeah. Go, it's America. With, uh... <laughs> it's America ready for a behankerchiefed uh, Secretary of Labor. Yeah. My, I'd go with Christian Bale's character from Newsies, who unionizes all the Newsies. My, my vote is Stringer Bell from The Wire, which is a great show and that you should watch, Matt. Oh, you did it to me. I thought we were going to get through this whole thing without <laughs> you telling me to watch The Wire. But you did it to me. I'm, I'm going to throw one out here. Sarah Connor. What role does she have in the Obama administration? <laughs> besides besides a new cabinet position of Secretary of Badass, perhaps. Now she's Secretary of Health and Human Services. <laughs> yeah, as a distinct for robot services, which she's exactly. not the secretary of. <laughs> right. Although, although honestly, like even though we have a great one for head of FEMA, if anyone should be like in disaster preparedness, it's her. Okay, so what do we still need? We need HUD. We need housing and urban development. We need energy. Well, energy is easy. Tony Stark. Who's the guy from the Fountainhead for HUD? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good God. That, that is not popular culture. I call shenanigans on that. Oh, at his flying castle and transform all of the world into flying castles? Is Howell an actual person? I know that the, he had a castle. It was like a spirit. Oh, nothing? Supernatural. No Miyazaki fans in the audience? I mean, you know. No, no, no. Not, I, I, I've seen the movie. Yeah. Interior crocodile alligator. <laughs> alligator. I dropped Chevrolet. Uh, housing and urban development. Bob the Builder. Yeah. So, yes, we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Add to. What about us? <laughs> education, guys. Yeah, education is the one that we still have left. Out of all the great educators in fiction. I mean, Charles Xavier's already taken. You know, what, about, know, what, about, what, what we haven't had is real diversity. I think it's time to put uh, a gay American in a cabinet position, so, or, or, or a gay uh, person, rather. So I'm going to go with Dumbledore for Secretary of Education. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Mr. Belding. I think Mr. Belding needs to be secretary. <laughs> That's principal wow. Belding to you. Every child will do every extracurricular activity. So I'll do them all at the same time. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Robin Williams from Dead Poets Society. Oh, nice. No, no, no. You know what? I'm going to go with, with two. A dual appointment of Michelle Pfeiffer from Dangerous Minds <laughs> and, and, and Danny DeVito from Renaissance Man. Yeah, because I was going to say you're a fool for thinking that Robin Williams from Dead Poets Society could make it through a confirmation hearing. Right. He's got some skeletons <laughs> in his closet. You, you better believe it.
Yeah. Okay, so uh, this has been the Overthinking It podcast. Uh, thank you to the panel. Let's just briefly go around, and if you care to be contacted, let people know how they can contact you. Mr. Mark Lee, how can people get you? Lee, L-E-E, at overthinkingit.com. Also on the Twitter at goes to 12 G-O-E-S-T-O-W-E-B-E. Uh, excellent. And um, Dr. Schechner. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess Schechner, uh, S-H-E-C-H-N-E-R, the least probable spelling of my last name, uh, at overthinkingit.com. And Belinky. Uh, B-E-L-I-N-K-I-E at overthinkingit.com and not on the Twitter. No, but you know what? We're, we're, well, I'll say that in a minute. Uh, Pete. Yo, uh, F is in Frank, E-N, Z is in Zebra, E-L, at overthinking.com. But my computer is broken, so I apologize if I don't get back to you right away. No, I apologize, too. That's, that's kind of my bad as well. <laughs> and, no, no, uh, I've, I've been helping Pete fix his computer. Josh, it's totally do you, innocent. Do you, do, you, uh, do you want to be contacted? Do you want an overthinking it email address? Oh, sure, I'll take one. But in the meantime, it's 20eatlog01 at gmail. You stole my account! (laughs) (laughs) We'll set you up with McNeil, M-C-N-E-I-L, at overthinkingit.com. I I actually prefer (laughs) (laughs) 20eatlog01. Okay, so we'll set you up with McNeil at (laughs) overthinkingit.com. I'm Matt Rather. You can get me at Rather. That's W. W-R-A-T-H-E-R at overthinkingit.com. The podcast, if you want to send podcast feedback, that's podcast at overthinkingit.com or send, you know, private love notes to anyone you heard on the podcast. If you want to call in and leave a voice ma- uh, mail, like the awesome, what was her name, Katie? Katie Cobb. <laughs> she, she really struck a note with you, didn't she? <laughs> I remembered her first name. I actually, you know, I'm still on their mailing list, so I get some emails from her. Uh, and they're very well-written emails, Katie. You're, you're a great fan. Uh, the number is 20eatlog01. That's 203-285-6401. Hey, a special, a special request. If you go on iTunes and leave us a nice review, so a lot of stars, like five would be great, and some feedback... Uh, about the show, that's one of the ways that other people will be able to hear about the show. Because the more feedback uh, our iTunes page gets, the more prominently it's featured uh, in the iTunes music store in the podcast section, and the more people will stumble across it. So if you would like to see the podcast grow, uh, that's one thing you could do to help us. And uh, thanks very much to the people who have been on there, actually, and who have, uh, who have reviewed it. You can get it. Um, you can get the, the show on iTunes by searching for Overthinking It, or there's a subscribe link on overthinkingit.com. We are on the Twitters at Overtweeting It, O-V-E-R-T-W-E-E-T-I-N-G-I-T. I nearly said I-T-I-T. And you, um, Asimov's best-selling novel, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the latest tweets on the homepage at www.overthinkingit.com. The website, not blog, but website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The warrant. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 ha!